All right. Uh, let's, let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for the beautiful weather, Lord. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you, Lord, for the clear skies. And thank you that we can come together to worship you. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time. May your Holy Spirit speak to us. Be with us, Lord God. And Lord, we just give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned later today, we're having a Q&A. Uh, some opportunity for you to get to know me, whatever you want to know. Uh, I think I'll, I'll answer it. I'll be as trans- transparent as I possibly can. Uh, you can ask me about my family. Uh, most of my family's not here today. Uh, Jamie's not feeling well. Um, and so, uh, and besides our public Q&A, we know you about as well as we could possibly, right? Uh, but uh, I'll give you a little sneak preview. I'll take this question out of the way. Uh, one of my hobbies, things I like to do, are jigsaw puzzles. Now, you're like, wow, that sounds exciting. I love doing jigsaw puzzles. I like the challenge of it. I like the idea of solving something. I even like uh, just the time. It gives me a quiet time to kind of think as well, think and reflect about things. But I like the mental challenge, and I'm kind of obsessive about this. Um, I I like the challenge to where I don't want to see the picture of the puzzle. I don't look at the the box, the cover, the little picture they give. I I don't look at it. I don't want to see it. I want to solve it without any help of a picture. In fact, it's, it's kind of obsessive to the point where I tell my family, and they know this about me, that you cannot help me. Do not help me with this puzzle. If you see a piece, don't. Don't let me see you put it in. All right? They know not to touch the puzzle. When they surround me, I get a little nervous as they look. Don't even think about it. Don't even put the puzzle piece together. But it's just obsessive that way. That's just kind of how I am. I only do a thousand and above pieces. Anything lower than a thousand is, you know... With, if I can say it, a little beneath me, all right? I don't want anything less than that. Um, I, I, one time I was doing a puzzle, and I was thinking about uh, just my message and all this kind of stuff, and as I was putting it together, this thought came to my head. I said, you know, church is a lot like a jigsaw puzzle. If you've done jigsaw puzzles, what's the first steps you do? You sort it out, right? You kind of, you have to sort out, the pieces, you know, usually you do the edges first. And then you kind of sort out similar pieces, right? You look and see, you know, you look at the, you know, the idea, you look at the pattern. Again, I don't look at the picture, but I look at the, the color of the pieces. I'm like, okay, kind of have an idea of sorting things out. But if you've done puzzle pieces or jigsaw puzzles, you know that you see certain pieces are very similar to each other, Right? And then there are pieces that are very distinctly different than other pieces. So you take notice of those kind of pieces as well. But as you're you're going through the pieces, you find that some pieces, they look similar to each other, right? And so sometimes they fit together, but sometimes they kind of fool you, don't they? They look similar, but it doesn't quite fit. So you kind of set it aside. Then you look for the other pieces. 
And then there's some other pieces that aren't quite similar to that piece, but somehow they fit. And how each piece may not fit to one particular piece, but what do they do? They help get other pieces to fit together. And before you know it, as you're going through your puzzle, as you're finished, you see that all these pieces that can be similar or very different from each other, when they're connected, they form this maybe beautiful picture, whatever the jigsaw puzzle is. And I was going through this puzzle, and I was looking at that, I was like, you know, that is so much like the church. How we can all be different pieces to a bigger puzzle. Now, I think I shared this at the beginning of this sermon series, that God convicted me in my time outside of church, and when I wasn't serving, I had a lot of time to reflect. And he convicted me with this thought that church ought to be very simple. It should be very simple, the idea of church. And I think Western churches have really complicated the idea of what church is. We kind of complicate things. We kind of we lose the simplicity of church. It get, kind of gets muddled with, you know, different programs and, and politics and plans and all these kind of things that sometimes it's easy to lose the simplicity of what church is. Right, church is pretty simple, right? It should be worship the Lord, fellowship in the Lord, serve the Lord, and share the Lord, right? That sounds to be pretty simple concepts. Love God, love others, right? That, isn't that the nutshell, what Jesus said, what the nutshell of God's commandment really is, loving God and loving others. But somehow we, we kind of lose the simplicity of church, I think our human tendencies kind of get in the way of things, doesn't it? Sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's selfishness, sometimes it's our own ideas or wants or likes or dislikes. We let all that stuff oftentimes get in the way of the simplicity of what church ought to be. In our sermon series that we've been looking at at the point we're in right now, we're looking at edifying fellowship. Some foundational principles for us as a church and in our personal lives. I don't know if you can recall the different principles, right? We talk about worshiping God. Our worship of God is one foundational principle in our lives, for our church and in our lives. Second one, rooted in the word. We want to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. And the third one that we've been looking at starting from last week and will continue for the next, this week and next is edifying fellowship. What fellowship is and is our fellowship edifying to one another. So as we continue in chapter 12, we're going to read as we're going to read the rest of the chapter. And we're going to look at different qualities, different actions, different descriptions of what our life as believers in Christ ought to look like. And we're going to see hopefully that each of us represents a puzzle piece. A piece in the grander thing of what we're we're composed of, what generations church ought to be. And if we're going to expand it even further, what the body of Christ ought to be. So we're going to take a look at it. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And by, by the way, you know, I know we're on the phones. We have our bulletins on the phones. Hopefully next week we'll have the slides so we don't have to be dependent on the phones. But I do want to encourage you to bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. I don't know, but maybe it's old-fashioned me. 
Maybe it's old pastor me, but there's something about physically seeing it on the pages. I don't know about you, but it kind of seems to stick a little bit more for me. So I want to encourage you, if you can, bring your Bibles. I won't judge if you're not. Don't worry, I won't look at you differently. But I encourage you to bring your Bible. I mentioned last week our fellowship with the Lord will be reflected in our fellowship with each other. There's a direct correlation. The quality of our fellowship with God will only enhance the quality of the fellowship we have with each other. And it's that quality of fellowship that will keep us connected. Right? Our fellowship with God will affect our fellowship with each other. And the quality of our fellowship together will keep us connected. Let's look at Romans uh, Romans chapter 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. Let me take a sip here for a second. I feel my voice straining. I'm going to try not to crack this time. Verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, that was a lot to cover. That's probably the most that we've covered in one sitting, right? Don't worry, we're going to spread this out in a couple weeks. Now, I don't know how many of you are serious students of the Bible. You've tried to study your Bible on your own, or maybe you went in school and you learned how. There's a couple tips I want to share with you about studying the Word of God. First tip. Oh, it's going. Gosh. I knew I sang a little too much earlier. First tip. 
when you're studying scripture, if you've ever taken a photograph of something, you know how you zoom in and out to capture something? How many have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Or somewhere where there's a lot of a wide scenic picture? If you're at the Grand Canyon, you, you, let, you take the wide picture, right? You see a wide picture, and you take the beauty of it, and then you can focus in on something and capture another aspect, a beautiful aspect of whatever you're looking at. Scripture is the same way. To get an appreciation of Scripture, you have to have both angles. You have to have a wide angle to understand the context, the bigger picture of things. And then you zoom in and see certain th- something specific, but then you zoom back in and out. So the one, one tip of studying scriptures is as you zoom in and out. And when you do that, you notice different re- repetitions, some phrases, some words, some themes that are repeated. Usually it's repeated that you, 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 for you get some kind of emphasis, some kind of theme that, that the author is trying to, to say, right? So some repeated themes or sayings. I mean, you listen to the radio still. Do you listen to some commercials on the radio? How many of you know the jingle for Cars for Kids? Now, I'm not endorsing it. I don't know anything too much about it. But how many of you have heard that on the radio? How many of you know their, their number by the song? I can't, you know, my voice came, so it saved you from singing. I was going to sing the jingle, but I can't now. one eight seven seven. What's the number? All right, we won't give out the number, right? But you know the jingle, right? Pop songs. What's the key to a successful pop song? Repetitive chorus, right? You get lines that can repeat, repeat with some kind of catch. It sticks in your head, right? So repetition is key to memory, right? Marketers know this. So we look at the theme, and what are some repetitions, some points of emphasis that we see in this passage. One of the things we pick up on is the significance of grace. Paul mentions grace. We see in verse 3 and verse 6. Verse 3, Paul says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you. Verse 6, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. The word grace there, goodwill, loving kindness, favor. The word gifts is where we get the word charisma, right? That word gifts means favor with which one receives without any merit of his own. So Paul repeats this theme of grace. He acknowledges it is by the grace of God that he is able to say this to the church. Any gift we receive is given by God's grace. Our salvation or anything good is by God's grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn our way to God's favor. I don't know, those of you who are older, maybe you recognize that when you get older, you really appreciate grace. If you've been a Christian for a while, you appreciate God's grace. You realize, man, God, I'm really undeserving of all the things that you've blessed me with. Because when you're a kid, you don't fully appreciate this idea of grace. When you're younger, you feel like you deserve whatever you want, right? When you're younger, you feel like there's an entitlement. That parent's job, their obligation is to give you whatever you want, 
right? Kids are right. The younger ones right now are nervous. They don't know how to say, whether they say amen to that or not. But that when you're kids, that's what you think. You think your parents' job is to give you what you want. But that's not the case, is it? Parents' job is not to give you whatever you want. But it is their job to help you get what you need. And for a lot of parents, that's not just the home, the food on the plate, the school, the education, all this kind of stuff. The needs, also the internal needs. It's a parent's job to make sure their kids receive the love that they need, the care that they need, the wisdom from God that they need. Right? Kids need those things as well. So I, I got, you know, just when parents thought, oh, yeah, Pastor Mike, tell my kids that. Tell them it's not my job to give them what they want. Well, parents, it's also our job to give them what they need. And it's not just the material stuff. It's not just the food. It's the spiritual feeding inside. The biblical role modeling. Role modeling. That's what they need from parents. But as we get older, we learn that we're far less deserving from God. This idea of grace. And if you think about it, viewing our lives with this appreciation of grace helps us with that mentality of being humble that we talked about last week. Right, last week we talked about viewing ourselves in modesty, not viewing yourself any higher or more important than others viewing ourselves more important than we ought to. And when we appreciate the idea of God's grace, it keeps us humble, makes us realize, wait, anything good we get is God's grace. We don't have the right to come demanding things from people like we often do. So this idea, this repetition, this theme of God's grace, Paul brings up. The second thing we see, this theme that we see in this this chapter, is this idea of valuing others above self. Verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Give preference to one, in, to one another in honor. And then verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. See, there's a second part to it. We started looking at the first part, is humble ourselves. Humble our mentality, how we view ourselves, especially in light of our fellowship together. But the second part is how we value others. See, it's not just enough to say, okay, I'm going to keep myself humble. I'm not going to think of myself as higher than others. It's not it. That's not the whole picture. The second part of it is, okay, now how am I viewing, how am I valuing other people? Look at this repeated phrase in verse 16. Do not be haughty in mind. Do not be wise in your own estimation. But in verse 10, he goes on to say, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That term brotherly love is a familiar word. Right in Greek, it's Philadelphia. So we're all familiar with that. The city of what? Brotherly love, right? This is familiar sense of love. 
But that phrase, be devoted, comes from a Greek word of two words. All right, philos, a friend, and storge, this, this type of family love. This type of love that we see in families, that's instinctual. Moms, when you gave birth to your child, and you saw, you saw your child from the very beginning, there's this instinctual love for this child. I remember when I became a father each three times. There's this instinctual falling in love with your child. So there's this family sense of love. So what's Paul saying? How should we value each other? He refers to this familial family, this loving affection that we see or ought to see, ought to have in our family lives. So love each other, see each other as you do as family. Now, I'll let you think about that for a second. If we, treat, if we treated each other as we do in our own homes, we treat our own family, what would that look like? I thought there would be a lot more laughs. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? The results may not be what we would want them to be. If we treated each other as we do our own family members, I think it's safe to say in some homes, family members kind of treat each other worse than strangers. All right? Parents and children fighting daily. Siblings constantly barking at each other if you have more than one child. Spouses arguing on a daily basis. And then the family comes to church, and it's like put on the Sunday face, right? Come to church, and you walk in together as a family, and man, people are looking at like, oh, look at that family. They got it all together. Little do they know five minutes ago, they were just at each other's hair, and parents are sw- you know, swinging at their kids in the backseat or, or whatever it may be. I told you, this sermon series may get a little uncomfortable. I warned you guys last week. Because we're going to get to some practical situations. But let's, let's kind of let's face the facts, right? There are no perfect families, are there? We like to pretend there's perfect families, but there's no perfect families. In fact, let's just get this out of the way. How many would raise your hands and say, I do not have a perfect family? Okay, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Okay, look around. All right, we should not feel alone in this situation, okay? We're going to get the elephant out of the room and just stop the pretending that we all have perfect families. At some level, we can relate to the fact that, you know what? We probably don't always treat each other and family as we ought to. So let's kind of get the scary notion out of the way that if we're supposed to be like family, treat each other as family, that, you know, man, but my family is not real good, <laughs> you know? But if our families aren't that good, let's not, be, let's not settle for that standard. Right? If your home lives isn't what it's supposed to be, and you have this picture of how a church family is supposed to be, and we're like, well, if I don't treat my family real great either, then what am I supposed to do? Let's not settle for that. Let's work on that. Right? Let's apply what we're going to look at in this chapter, not just to our church life, but to our family life as well. Right? Because our fellowship with God should affect our fellowship with others. And here's a weird concept. 
But turn to your family member, if you're sitting with family, and tell them, you are my brother or sister in Christ. Parents, is that kind of a weird concept? Children, is that kind of a weird concept to think about that your parent or your child, your brothers and sisters in Christ? See, we kind of isolate things that relate to family and children and parents. You know, we kind of highlight that in our Bible, but we neglect all the other stuff that we're charged with and how to relate to each other. Paul charges us to treat each other as family. So when we hear the term church family, it'd be nice to think about that we have a church family. goes on in verse 10. Give preference to one another in honor. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. This idea, give preference to one another in honor. Take the lead to, to esteem someone highly. Be willing to take the lead to esteem someone highly. Another way to interpret this, try to, do out, try to outdo one another in showing respect. Can you think about that for a second? Think about that concept. What would it look like of a church family if we tried to outdo each other, to honor each other, to respect each other? None of us would get food afterwards. We're like, no, 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 you eat first. No, 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 you eat first. Oh, I insist. I know you insist, but I insist more. That's not a bad problem to have, right? It's not a bad problem to have to try to honor somebody for the sake of honoring them. Showing them respect. Can you imagine that mentality? Trying to outdo another and giving each other respect and honor. That word honor means valuing by which the price is fixed. Honor which belongs or is shown to one. Whenever you've bought something, if you bought something expensive, right? The value is placed, right? The price tag tells you the value of something. And according to that price tag, generally... It affects how you treat that whatever it is, right? If you're eating an expensive meal, I don't know about you, but I'm savoring that thing. I'm going to enjoy the flavors. I'm going to enjoy it. Savor it. But if it's McDonald's, I've had that so many times, I'm going to take it and just going to, you know, it's nothing. If you bought a nice car, you're going to treat it nicely. Don't get any crumbs on the floor. Wipe the smudges. But over the course of time, as the value goes down, what happens? Ah, it's just another stain. You know, I'll get, I'll get a, a, a car wash when it rains next, after the next season of rain or something, whatever it is. The price tag changes how we treat things, right? How we honor things. It says, be of the same mind toward one another. Verse 16, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Have the same mind toward one another. How many of you remember your, your school years, elementary through high school years? You remember those years? I know some of you are in those years now. Those are rough years. Do you remember how some kids were classified as the popular group? So there was a popular table that the popular kids sat on. And then the other table, there's some other group of kids, another group of kids, and then there may be a table where the unpopular kids sat, or maybe it's just one kid who sat there. 
Kids are cruel, aren't they? And there are some times when you look at one table, you're like, man, I wish I could sit at that table. I would love to be able to sit with them, but I don't fit their crowd. They don't see me as fitting with this table and this crowd. We think life changes as we get older, right? But does life change that much more when we get older, we get out of school? If, you, if you're in the lunchroom, sometimes you notice that. You have a group of people. You walk in the lunchroom. There's a workroom. And then you have some people that kind of fit together. And they're like, man, now that's like a popular table. And then you have scatterings of people that are kind of like, they're, they're, they're the weird ones. They're the ones that, you know, no one really likes to talk to very much. And all these kind of things that happens. Does that happen at church? We, don't, we won't want to admit it, but that happens at church. That happens in youth group. It happens anywhere because it's human nature. We tend to be that way. We wonder, when are we going to outgrow this kind of shallow, these shallow conditions of who we choose to honor and not honor, right? Do we honor others according to the value? Who sets the value price for us? It's God, right? His value, his price was his life. Right? I died for you. I have given you value and honor. But do we treat others with that sense of honor and value? We often, often neglect that. So it says, honor, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. That word literally means load to the ground. It may not be their living, it's not a socioeconomic thing. Maybe it's just that, you know what, they're hurting. That brings them feeling low. Quickly, what hinders us from experiencing this in our fellowship? I bet you we struggle with the same challenges that the early church did. Early troubles in the early church, what do they struggle with? Partiality, right? Things that divided them, maybe a socioeconomic, social class ethnicity, race. We saw that last week, the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers, and there was friction between the two. Possibly gender. We have some cultural issues there at the time as well. Commonalities. What you have in common, what they have in common, did that cause friction? Peer pressure, appealing to the crowd. Even Peter himself had to be admonished by Paul. He called him out on the hypocrisy. He said, Peter, you acknowledge that the Gentiles have come into covenant Yet when you're with them and you're with your fellow Jewish believers, you don't treat them the same. If we, the more you, you read the letters of the New Testament and you read the book of Acts, you realize, you know what? The same problems that they struggle with are the same problems we can struggle with. There were allegiances. Who do you follow? Well, I follow Peter. I follow Paul. I, feel, I follow Apollos. There was worldliness that caused division among the fellowship. And then there's just a potpourri of stench. That's what I call it. Just a smattering of different stuff. There was strife, jealousy, anger, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. All of these things happened in the church, just like it does today. These are all areas that causes conflict in our fellowship. So let's close with this thought. Let me think of this, have us think about this. Do any of these things hinder us from honoring others? I want you to think about that for a second. Do any of these list of things, or maybe it's something else, hinder you from truly honoring somebody else? And I'm not just talking about the ones that are easy to honor. 
but ones who are different from you. Ones who are maybe not quite as social as you. Or maybe you've just never known them before. Let's close with Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5. I shared this verse last week. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. How we ought to see each other. Humble ourselves. Don't look at just your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Four things to kind of think about in closing. Check yourself. Check your mentality. Your humility. Right? When you come to church and apply this into your home life or whatever it is, when you come, do you have a humble attitude? Or do you come with a sense of entitlement? Or a sense of, I need to have these things done the way I want them done. Okay, Have a sense of humility. And the second thing, see others with value and worth. See each other with value and worth. No matter what age you're in, whether they're just starting to walk, or they need help walking, or anywhere in between. If they don't look like you, they don't come from the same background as you. The third thing, be a fit with another piece. Try to be a fit with another piece. Look, I'm not saying we all have to be best friends. Let's be realistic here. We're not all going to be best friends. But we can have the same attitude towards one another, and we can help each other. We may not always be the ones that fit together, Right? There are some people that you could just get along, you meet them, and like, man, it's like we've known each other for a long time. You like bike, bicycling? I do too. You know, you like this? Yeah, so do I. You play ball? Oh, yeah, I do too. And there's like this natural connection that you might have. But there may be someone who doesn't fit that natural connection, but there's going to be a piece that they can fit with. You catch what I'm saying? Be a piece and help another person be a piece that connects us together. Because remember, the fourth thing, we were, were, were trying to model Jesus. Just what Philippians says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. As we model Christ, we're modeling this kind of fellowship that we have with each other. So imagine if we are this puzzle piece of this greater puzzle and one of the pictures in the beginning, I showed some different puzzles that I've done. There's one of them. The last one is one of Winnie the Pooh. That was a fun one. Because each individual puzzle piece is pictures of the cartoon. Right? So each piece is a little action scene. But when you put it all together, it makes a picture of Winnie the Pooh. It was so great. It was fun to see. I had a fun time with that. I don't know how long it took me. It, took, it didn't take me too long to do. But there was one thing that happened that frustrated me. If you see that picture, you'll notice something if you look carefully. After I was done with the puzzle piece, my fears came to pass as I was counting down, looking at the puzzle pieces. There was one piece missing. That really frustrated me. I don't know why. I don't know what happened to that puzzle piece, where it went. We couldn't find it. But the whole piece was done except for one piece. And to me, that puzzle was not complete. Because that one piece was missing. 
I hope we have the mentality of our church that we have the mentality of, you know what? There's still a piece missing. We're going to keep finding that piece. That our church isn't going to stay. We're not going to arrive to that. Well, we're all complete now. We don't need anybody else. But we have the mentality, you know what? There's a piece missing. Maybe someone could be a piece that's missing in the church. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you call us into fellowship. You call us to have a relationship with each other because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we all represent a piece of the puzzle. Help us, Lord, to stay connected, to have the sense of family, sense of love for one another, to esteem each other, to be there for each other. We thank you, Lord God, that we model you, Lord Jesus. You don't leave us to try to figure it out ourselves. We thank you, Lord God. Father, as we continue, may your spirit continue to speak to us and how we can model this with each other. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.